Tonight's uh, shir, good evening, is in the merit for the birthdays of Rivka Dina Bas Chaya Bunya on the 28th of Cheshvan and Rivka Tzapayra Bas Leia Freida on the Hey Kislev. So uh, we want to wish them both a Shnas Brochan Atzlocha, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful special good year. These are two Rivkas, so Rivka and Rivka, so this is related to the Still to the Parshas that we're learning. When we read Parshas Vayishlach, we actually have hidden in the Parsha is the yard site of Rivka. Dina this week is in the story of the Parsha. So, and Leah is here. Oh, everybody, everybody that needs to be here. So may, um, may they have a wonderful, wonderful, special good year. A lot of Abrach and Atzlacha, a lot of growth, a lot of, in, both in the, in the spiritual and um, a wonderful, prosperous year in the physical. Okay. Um, all right. Thank you. Now um, we're going to pick off where we left off last week. Well, last week we started learning a fascinating discourse, um, and the um, of Pada B'Shalom Nafshi, and um, we left off. That, just to give a, a uh, short synopsis, short synopsis. We're dealing now in the month of Kislev. In the month of Kislev is when we have the redemption, the, 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 the holidays of both the Mittler Rebbe, Reb Dov Ber, Reb Shneir Zalman of Liadi. The Mittler Rebbe is, is redemption is on the, in the, in the, um, on the 10th of Kislev, the Alter Rebbe's redemption is on the 19th of Kislev, celebrated by Hasidim as great holidays. Um, we, what we understand that these are not just celebrations about great tzaddikim, which that itself is a reason to celebrate, but there's the energy through Hasidus, through their, their redemptions that they've had, it's an energy for all of us to experience our own redemption our own personal redemption, because we all need a redemption, both the redemption of the whole world through Mashiach Tzadkeinu and the individual redemption of each and every one of us from our own constrictions and limitations that hold us back and don't allow us to be able to be who we truly need to be and who we truly are. So, um, and the chidush, the novelty of Hasidus, of the empowerment, the unique empowerment that we get through having the teachings of Hasidus is that we can achieve a redemption in a peaceful manner. That's the Chiddush. Pada b'shaloyim nafshi. The reason why the Alter Rebbe went out of jail and the Mittler Rebbe too on the day of his redemption said this to him. Pada b'shaloyim nafshi. And which simply means I've been redeemed. Okay, makes sense. A tzaddik says the Pasik Pada b'shaloyim nafshi and God saves him from his, his trouble from whatever, whatever constriction or limitation he finds himself in. But there's something much deeper. The reason why the Alter Rebbe and the Mittler Rebbe were redeemed when they said Pada B'Shalim Nafshi is because that which, they, that which they are standing for, that which they are, they are, they are been, that which their teachings and that which they are, they, they are bringing to the world is something that will bring redemption to all their followers in a peaceful manner. So what's the first redemption we need? We need a redemption from our enemies. Who is our enemy? Our enemy is our own Yetzirah, our own evil inclination. 
Last week we learned something fascinating, that as a result of a person's negative thoughts produced by their Yetzirah, some of those thoughts, no thought gets lost. A thought is a spiritual energy from your soul, and it doesn't get lost. It lasts, just like the soul is eternal, the thoughts also are eternal. And therefore, as sometimes a combination of many thoughts that a person thinks can serve that energy, a combination of, I don't know how many thoughts, can create together a full-fledged spirit which can later enclose itself in a body of some kind of enemy that later comes to haunt that person. Whether it's a physical body, I'm not so sure about, but definitely in some demonic kind of forces which a person creates, which these things get in the person's way and obstacles and they're, they're, they're just... And the person doesn't realize that this person created it through their own thoughts. So we have a Sahara, and as a result of our Sahara, which produces and our animal soul, which gets us to think silly or unpro- unproductive thoughts, these thoughts alone create armies of, of antagonizers that antagonize the person somewhat or another in some way. So these are the enemies. And a person needs to achieve a pada b'shalem. You need to be redeemed from the forces that are out against you. The internal battle on the simplest level of our own Sahara. So how does one achieve and accomplish that? So last week we learned a whole long discussion about the idea of a war. And we learned an interesting thing. The Pasuk says, pada b'shalem nafshi mikravli, from, my, from those that are krav. Krav means those that are tangling with me. So we learned last week that when you have two people who really, really, really are total opposites, they're enemies, they hate each other, they can be, hate each other all their life, but one of them won't defeat the other, none of them, they, 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 they'll remain enemies. The ultimate defeat, where one can defeat the other, will require that they come close to each other. You can't defeat your enemy from a distance. The only way you can defeat your enemy is if you argue it out. You have to argue it out. And the arguing causes you to be in a communication. If you hate someone, and you can't talk to them, then you're just going to remain, this person is going to remain um, a, a force against you forever. But if you're going to argue it out and you're going to win that person in a debate, but hold it, I don't want to argue with them because I don't want to talk with them because I hate them so much. Well, that's true. But then you're never going to defeat them. To defeat them, you need to go meet with them and debate. Or even physically. When two people or two uh, kings or whatever, one hates the other and they're sworn enemies, they will remain two forces against each other, but the only way they, one can defeat the other is if they actually meet and fight. And when they wrestle, like we see this week in the parsha, Yaakov and Esau's Malach were wrestling. They were embracing each other. And that's the meaning of an entanglement. When you're entangling your hands and the other person's hands, and you're wrapping yourself around the other person, it's as if you're loving the other person. You're coming so close. And as we learned last week, it's not just a physical attachment and contact where two people contact each other. Their energies are actually mixing. When two people are fighting physically, the energy of one person is pervading the inner space of the other individual. I am entering into your space. You're entering into my space. And that's how we're fighting. But obviously, even though they're close, the objective is for one to subdue the other completely and nullify the other's 
the other, the other one should be subdued, which means surrendered. Now, you cease to be a somebody, but you're under my dominion. That's the idea. So, for instance, fire and water are total opposites. We learned last week. Total opposites. Whatever water stands for, fire stands for the total opposite. But as long as the water is on La Brea and the fire is on Fairfax, um, the fire will be fire and the water will be water. And they'll never really... But when you bring the two together and they get close, whichever one, one of them will defeat the other. Either the fire will subdue the water or the water will subdue the fire. But in order for that to happen, they have to get close. Spiritually, we have two souls. We have a godly soul and we have an animal soul. And it's possible for a person that in the entire life to experience these two souls, but to never bring them onto the battlefield. It's important that we actually cause a confrontation. If we don't, some people don't like confrontations. They keep away from confrontations. But if you keep away from a confrontation, ultimately, you will never resolve the issue. Sometimes you need to confront. Our godly soul needs to confront our animal soul. And where do you confront? The Rebbe says during davening. He brings from the Zohar. The Zohar says that prayer is a bloody battlefield. Davening is a time of war. Because it's that at that point is when your godly soul wants to convince the animal soul that that which it believes in and that which it stands for is true and right and correct. And it must go along with what it thinks is correct. The animal soul, however, on its end, uh, is, is going to fight back. Now the Rebbe said last week it's possible that not every prayer is a, is, 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 is a battle. Sometimes there are prayers that are not battles. For example, the prayer on Shabbos. It's possible, the Rebbe says an interesting thing, the Mittler Rebbe over here. He says it's possible that a lot of times a person prays and they experience no opposition from their animal soul. And they might think they're at tzaddik. Look at me, I'm praying so well. No one is disturbing me. I don't have any negative thoughts. I'm not thinking anything. I'm just, the davening is going so well. The Rebbe says the problem is that your place of where you're davening is not, is, is, is not threatening your animal soul. Because you're not trying to address the animal soul in its place. You're talking over your animal soul. You're thinking over your animal soul. Basically, if your prayer is a very, very spiritual kind of davening and a very abstract realm, you're not provoking your animal soul because it has nothing to do with your everyday life. Because, which simply means that you can have a very, very, very deep mystical connection to God, but it's not going to affect you by lunch, by breakfast in your everyday life, because you're really, really, really just connecting to God in a very, very abstract manner. You're not bringing it down into reality, into everyday life. And therefore, and the Rebbe gives an example, Shabbos a prayer. Because of the heightened spiritual awareness that there is naturally in the world on Shabbos, Shabbos, the world is filled with so much godly light. It's possible for a person to experience God so strongly on Shabbos, but on a very, very sophisticated, spiritual, abstract level. And therefore, your animal soul can, can, can comfortably wait till your davening is over, and then he or she will attack the chalent as if you never davened. Which means, because you never really engaged it, because your, 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 your level of prayer was not speaking the language, it was not triggering, it was not poking. You weren't poking the animal. If you, you were shooting arrows, but you were shooting, it, you, you were shooting the arrows on top and over and above and over the head of the animal soul. 
So the animal soul didn't even feel like you're shooting arrows against it. You weren't sticking it into him because it's Shabbos to Gedavening. You're like, you're like praying from the 90th floor of your consciousness. Your animal soul hangs out on the bottom 20 floors or the bottom 10 floors. He's not hanging out in the 90th floor. So he doesn't care what's happening in that 90th floor of your consciousness. He cares about what's happening down here on the ter- uh, in, in his turf, in his territory. When it comes the weekday, and you don't have access to such abstract spiritual kind of prayer. So your prayer is going to be in a more down-to-earth level. When you're going to be thinking about God, you're not thinking about God pervading the, the, the luminous spiritual worlds of Yetzira or Bria. You're thinking about Hashem filling the physical Gashmiistic world because you can't think about such transcendental places because it's the weekday, it's not Shabbos. And our general consciousness is coarser. But guess what? That prayer is going to be more provocative. It's going to provoke and anger the animal soul. Because if you're thinking about God's being true in the physical world, the, gosh, the animal soul says, what are you talking about? The physical world is a godless existence. The physical world is my territory. Here's where I want to have a good time. Don't show me that God is the truth of the cupcake. Don't do that. I don't care if God is the truth of Atsilus, but I do care if God is the truth of my burger. That I care. Because then I can't be a glutton. Then I can't. If God is, is the reality of french fries, then you're poking me. If God is the truth of pizza, then you're poking me. If God is the truth of my regular Monday life, then I, 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 can't, I won't be able to live my physical and enjoy my physical life just for the sake of physical enjoyment. I will have to add godly intention and godly purpose to everything, and I don't want to do that. So what does the animal soul do when you have that kind of a prayer? What the animal soul does is when he feels threatened, he's going to play all of his dirty tricks. And what are his dirty tricks? He's going to bombard you suddenly with all kinds of thoughts that you would generally not even think of during the day. He's going to look for anything that's going to shock you. Just like you're trying to shock him with godly, godly, godly awareness, he's going to try to shock you back by showing you how ugly and despicable he can really be. See, he might throw you some thoughts that you would generally not even think of. And now, why? Because he knows that when he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna throw an image into your head that is so not kosher, that is so impure, that you're going to get so scared, and you're going like, to look at yourself and you're going to say, I am not a spiritual person. I'm an animal. I'm a beast. That's why I think so and so. So he's going to try to do that. So the Rebbe tells us in Tanya, and, and I hinted to over here too, don't get... Don't get demoralized. Don't, get, don't fall into despair if during davening you feel you experience ugly, lowly cravings that you wouldn't even feel other times. It's not a sign that you're not davening. It's actually a sign that you are davening. It's precisely because you're praying and the animal soul is being threatened. When, one, when two people are fighting and one person suddenly gains a lot of strength and it's almost ready to throw the other one down, the other person is going to muster up a bunch of strength and fight back. He's not going to go down without a fight. But realize that. And you need to fight in order to vanquish your, your animal soul. That's basically a summary of what we learned last week. Then, in, he added, however, that this war between the holy soul and the godly, the godly soul and the, and the animal soul, however, is only when we are operating on the lower levels of our soul. In other words, when we are praying and when our godly consciousness is coming, 
from our nefesh, ruach, neshama, which are the three lower parts of our soul. But when we are, but what does it mean, pada b'shalom nafshi? Pada b'shalom nafshi means that I'm able to transform my animal soul, not by fighting with it, but by, in a peaceful manner. That without the, the, the ferocious debate and argument and the fireworks that comes from the friction of the two souls fighting, it's possible for a person, and this is what we're going to be learning, to open, to reveal within themselves such a deep connection to God that the unholy, the klipa, is going to melt away without a fight, without a back and forth. Not like Shabbos prayer, as we spoke earlier, where Shabbos prayer is above the animal soul. You're just serving God with your godly soul and your animal soul is not involved. That's not the point. Shabbos, it's good because your neshama needs a little, um, what do you call, respite. The neshama needs a little break. What's the word? Yeah. The neshama needs a little break from its, from its... You have to allow your soul to replenish itself, to recharge itself. So you have to allow your soul to have sometimes a spiritual vacation where it goes into a place where it doesn't have to wrestle. That I understand. But ultimately the purpose in life is not to abandon the physical, the earthy, and the animal soul, but to transform it, to change it. That's what it's all about. But now, however, the Rebbe is saying there are two levels in that transformation. There's one level in where you're fighting and you're going to experience the back and the forth, the back and the forth. But then there's another level where one can achieve such a deep, and this is mainly the idea, identification with Kedusha, with holiness, that the animal soul just naturally is suddenly going to just dissipate without a fight. And it's transformed completely. And it's a much higher level of service. What's the difference? Is as follows. In general, we have two sets of kochos, two sets of powers in our neshama. One is called the orpinimi. Orpinimi means the internalized internal element of our soul, and the other one is called or makif. Or makif means the encompassing elements of the soul. Internal and encompassing. And the internal part of the neshama is, it begins with the, the, these three levels. Nefesh, ruach, neshama are internalized. So the nefesh is, so the neshama is, which is the highest level of internalized light, is the intellect. And ruach is the emotion, and then uh, uh, nefesh is more the mo- what motorizes behavior, thought, speech, and action. So, in the level of the internal, uh, in the internal dimension of a person's consciousness, over there, when holiness is trying to master and holiness is trying to direct your life, it's going to come with a battle. But then there is another part of the neshama called the ormakif. Ormakif means the encompassing part of the soul. That's higher than, than the intellect. beyond our mind. It's not what we understand. It's a love to God. It's, a, it's an attachment to Hashem that's, that's, that's um, pure desire, pure will. It can't be rationalized or logic or understood by reason. It's like the core essential desires that a person has that is deeper than any kind of logic and explanation. It's who you are at your essence. And the reason why we say it's higher than internalization is because you can't understand it and appreciate it in your limited vessels 
in your li limited containers, but it doesn't mean that it's outside of you. Quite on the contrary, this is the truest and deepest inner you. The problem is that it's a very, very deep level of soul, a very, very high level of soul. When a person can expose that level of neshama, when a person can do something to open their consciousness up to these deeper levels of self, when that is revealed, that causes an identity shift. Your identity becomes holiness. Holiness and godliness is not anymore just a, a something that your mind is, is leading you to. It's not something that you are emotionally excited about, like you get excited about anything else, your emotions trigger. Or something intellectually that you can perceive as good, you realize your connection to God is yourself. This is who I am. This is my being. This is not something that I understand and appreciate in my mind that it's good. It's who I am. And when you can identify with holiness as this being who you are, then the klipa falls away. That's basically what we're going to develop and we're going to learn in this mimer. So we're going to start now um, in the idea. This is what the Rebbe said in Perikei. In Perikei, the Rebbe said that there's no war if you can reveal, the war is only in the nefesh ruach neshama that's in conflict with the nefesh, with the nefesh ruach and neshama of the, of the animal soul. But the levels of chay and yechidah don't have any opposing force. The makifim, there's no war. And the last, we started to learn perek vav, and the Rebbe is saying, however, in truth, in the makifim energy, even in the makif, even in the encompassing level, there's two levels. There is a lower makif and the higher makif. And we, don't get scared about this. We're going to learn it. He's going to explain it. But he says, this that we say, that when you can only identify with your makifim, if you can connect and reveal your makif, there is no war. What I really truly mean is only when you reach the higher makif. Meaning in makif itself, there is a closer makif and a more distant makif, a farther makif, a higher makif, meaning something that's even, it's not just removed from your intellect on one level, it's removed two levels. It's totally beyond, it's beyond, beyond. And if a person can connect to that level of soul, over there is where there is no war whatsoever. The unholy dissipates and disappears without a fight at all. On the level of chai, even it's, there, there isn't much conflict, but there still is some trace of a conflict. And that's what we're going to learn right now. now. Let's start again, even though we're holding beer at Varim. I'm, holding, I'm going to start on page 296. So this is, this is still, I'm sorry, 269, not 296. See, I'm, I'm, my head is uh, so famished that I'm reading, it, I'm reading it backwards. 269, it's still in last week's copies. And um, soon we're going to add this week's copies. Um, so let's go. Tehine in the middle of page 269, if you can find it. And I mentioned earlier, I'm sorry, the copies are not that sharp. Uh, the the uh, copy machine needs um, some new ink to make a stronger imprint. Here we are. Tehine yesh beis makifin, there are two levels of makifin. We mentioned earlier that our five, the neshama has five names. Nefesh, Ruach, Neshama, Chai, and then Yechidah. 
So the level of Chai and Yechida, these are the encompassing powers. So he says, in the Makifim itself, there are two Makifs. There is Chai and there is Yechida. Ki Yidu, as it is known, the Hembeiz, Minei Ratzon, these are two levels of, of desire. Ha'echod, one is Ratzon, Ha'meiru, Mispashit, Pekli Amoyach Va'alev. You see, we said earlier that the internal, the internal powers of a person are his intellect. That's where we, the intellect is the part, it's the first keli, it's the first oil, it's the first light that's in a vessel, is our intelligence. Then there is desire and want that is higher than intelligence. But the Rebbe says the lower level of desire is a desire that, even though it's above intelligence, it's felt and sensed and illuminates within the intelligence. It's mispashit ubikliya moyach v'halev. It does expand into the moach and into the heart. Degam shashor shoy b'pchenas makif. Even though its root is in the makif, in the encompassing. Makomokam nevertheless, meyer uba, it shines and it comes b'moyach v'halev into the moach, into the brain and into the heart, derech prat in a more specific manner. But the second Ratzon, who Nikra Ratzon Pashut, it's called simple will. Can't be in any way conceived in the brain and in the heart. Can't shine in the heart. It's beyond that which is shining in the heart and in the mind. And this is the difference between the two Makifim, Chaya and and Chaya and Shenikra, which are called, the difference between them is like this. Both of them are makif. Makif meaning they're both encompassing. But one is a makif klali. One is a more general makif. Which one is the more general makif? The yechida is a more general makif. And the other one is makif prati, a more specific makif. A more specific encompassing power. as stated in Which is the Arizal. And he's going to explain it in a very, very clear explanation. So follow along. We first have to preface, we see. We find the phenomenon as follows. When a person has a desire and a, and a longing, a want for something, So even though you want something very much, that desire and that want can suddenly disappear. It can be stopped completely. For a desire and a want that is far more wondrous and far greater. A person can want something very, very much and you're really, really excited about it. You're planning a trip somewhere. And you're really excited about going somewhere and seeing it and... And, 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 and you really, 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 you want, you've been waiting already a few months to be able to have the opportunity to go meet this person or see this place or go on this trip and you really, really are excited about it. But then something comes your way in which an incredible opportunity came your way. It can be to make a few million dollars. Or it can mean that something regards your child. Your child is getting married. And, you know, from whatever, something now made itself available. Your child is getting married now. And so the, your desire in your child's marriage or your desire in making all this money 
is a far more deeper and more powerful desire than the desire to meet this person or see this event and so on and so forth. So suddenly you see that even though you had a strong desire to have so and so, that desire suddenly gets overpowered by some other desire and it's cancelled completely. It's like, okay, I wish I would have seen it, I wish I could have gone, but you know what, right now I have something much bigger in my mind and I have to do so and so. Um, especially when it's contradictory to that, to this desire. Even though now, even though we see that when you have this new desire, this, 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 this higher, more powerful longing and desire for something very, very great, the first desire will be nullified. As if it never was. Nevertheless, it's not a true nullification. That its essential core essence has dissolved and dissipated and disappeared and gone forever. Why? But when he says like this, when one desire is clashing with another desire, and this, the second desire is far more powerful and deeper than the first one, to the point that it knocks out that desire from your heart, to the point that you don't have it anymore. He says, truly in truth, it didn't really change that desire. It's just that right now, it's being overshouted and over, overpowered by something deeper and more important to you. But it's not that it has been canceled. Why? It's not that it had a change. On the contrary. In page 270, This power, this desire, it's still in its full strength. It never became nullified. What happened really is you knocked it out of your consciousness and you basically suppressed that desire with another desire. It went back into the file cabinet in your hidden subconscious there. It's there. It might, re, re, it might re-emerge. What happens if you know your child gets married, you made the money, or whatever it is, that new, des- whatever, and that period or that experience is over, and you might find yourself a couple, or a year later, and suddenly you now resurfaced. Oh, I always wanted to go visit so and so. I want to go see it. I'd like to go there. And you suddenly the desire came back. It kind of, you thought you know it was over. It's not necessary. Whatever you got, it didn't disappear. It just was now knocked out from your consciousness, from your focus, because it was something more important. And deeper inside of you that now took center stage. Because the intensity of the desire of the ratzon and the longing for the thing that's greater than it, it is now occupying your mind and your heart, and there is no space for the other desire. But immediately, when it will be removed from his brain and from his heart. The great light and desire of this wondrous longing mimena from it. The first desire is going to come back to its might, the tiva and to its nature, begilui gomer in a complete revealed in a complete revealed state. as it is, 
without any nullification, even a little bit. Benimtza comes out, Shepchines habitl shala comes out that its suspension, it wasn't, it didn't, it wasn't nullified, it was only suspended. It was like put on the side. It's not a real bitl. Rak hefsik u bitl It's an interruption. And here's the idea, and I'm gonna explain something. This is very different than what we spoke about earlier in the Mimer. Earlier we learned in the Mimer, it's a head-on collision. I have a desire, let's say, for something that's not kosher. Something that's against God's will. And I feel that I have a Yetzirah. My Yetzirah is bugging me. It wants me to do something that I know is against God's desire. It's something that's gonna, that is going to hurt me spiritually. But what can I do? I have a desire. I want, whether it's in the area of a relationship, a forbidden relationship, whether it's in the area of forbidden food, whether it's in the, in the area of greed or, or, or getting back at someone, I have an opportunity to really take revenge at someone and really hurt them really well for what they've done for me. Whatever it is, I'm experiencing a negative desire. So earlier in the Mimer, we spoke about what, how do you fight that? So you're fighting that by arguing it out. You're trying to say yourself, you know, you want so and so and so. What are you talking about? I really love God. And you're trying to overpower your love to Hashem, to, 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 the, to the love. And it's a back and forth debate. It, there's an argument here. One is arguing. You're arguing back. He, he wants this. No, no, no. That is, can his distance me from Hashem? And I really do want to be connected to God. And so on and so forth. So there is a, there is a, there is a struggle. There is a debate going on within your heart. With it. Here we're not dealing with that. Here we're dealing with, even in the lower level, you're canceling that desire because you suddenly feel you're overtaken by a passion and a fervor and an excitement to God that doesn't leave space for any. You're not arguing. The other desire, you're not not saying you're invalid. It's not the issue over here. You're valid and you're invalid. I just don't have time for that. I got excited about something so much Greater and so much, so, and therefore, this is what I really want. You find this. I'll give an example for this. You find this in teenagers and, and people. Not only that, but people that are kind of you know having a hard time in yeshiva. They're a hard time in school. They're going through whatever, and they suddenly become very aware of their of the of the of the of the stuff around in this world that are exciting, and so on and so forth. Yiddishkeit doesn't speak to them. Never did. They had boring teachers all their life. Nothing really spoke to them. Nothing really triggered their soul. And they're just not interested. And what are they interested? They're interested in, in um, computer games. They're interested in whatever. And uh, what, 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 all the stuff that are out there. Music, this, that. Uh, and, and, and so that, that's what catches their interest. That's what they're excited about. Having a good time and the like. Whatever it is. Then they go to Israel and something, they did a Shabbaton, they went somewhere, they met this amazing rabbi. And this rabbi suddenly just spoke to them and opened up their soul. And now they're blown away and they go on fire and they just want Judaism and they just want Yiddishkeit and they're so excited and they're so passionate and they're so fired up and boom, 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 boom. So what happened? It's not like anybody argued. Suddenly their soul was turned on. And when your soul is turned on, suddenly everything else of that nourisher world becomes insignificant, it becomes stupid, so to speak, it becomes silly, it becomes foolish. Why should I be busy with that? And yet, 
Uh, so someone might think, oh, look at me. I'm a spiritual person now. I went to Israel. I did, I did uh, you know, whether it's birthright or whatever it is. And I went here and I went there and I met this rabbi and I read this book. And I got like, I'm on fire. I have, I'm a different reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. For how long? Let the excitement calm down. Let that initial fervor and fever and whatever it is calm down. And guess what? You're going to suddenly and go back to yourself. Go back to yourself. You're going to find yourself craving the same stuff that you were craving before. It's not like it's gone. It didn't disappear. It's there. It just realized that right now, when you're having a party, when you're having a spiritual, uh, a spiritual, a powerful spiritual uh, <laughs> excitement, it can't compete with that. So it shrivels up and it goes to the side and it quiets down. It will come back because it's part of you. You didn't cancel it. You didn't destroy it. You didn't uproot it. You just overpowered it with excitement. Every Jew has a neshama. And your neshama was the first time ever that someone opened up your soul. And you became aware that you have a neshama. And you have a higher... None of your teachers were able to inspire it. And this rabbi or this event, or this Shabbaton, or whatever it is, someone was able to un- open up your soul and unlock you to your soul. Fine. And you're soaring high for how long? A week, two, a year even. You're in yeshiva from then. You're, you're, but then, one day you're going to land. And when you land, you, suddenly, you realize that I'm not a transformed human being. I, I realize now that I have a strong spiritual side, but I also realize that I still have an animal, and it's the same animal that it was before, it just, uh, it was ignored. The Rebbe says, that's the lower level of cha, that of makif. You did experience makifim, because you, 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 you suddenly came into contact with this powerful um, drive of your neshama that you yourself couldn't even explain. It was like Judaism, and wow, it was energetic, it was fire, it was all great. But, again, it will, it will, but it, 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 as we said earlier, it shuts down the animal soul. It pushes it out of the consciousness. doesn't transform it. Um, as he says over here, that's what he says over here. When this great and wondrous desire will go outside, will leave a person's heart and mind. Tashiv achuka zois. This longing will come back to its strength, vetiva, and its nature, begilui gomer, and it will fully be manifest and fully be revealed. Kamoishi as it is, bittel, without it being nullified, afilu kolshu, even a little bit. In other words, you can be living in Israel and be in seminary or in school and flying high for an entire year of powerful inspiration, but whatever it is, that experience is going to end for whatever reason. You have to come back to the States. You have to come back to California. Whatever it is, you're going to go back and you're no more in that environment and you don't have access to that excitement, to someone to, someone to tickle, to stimulate your soul. You don't have that. You're suddenly going to be aware that you have the exact same desires and wants that you had before you left. All you have now is a memory of a time that you were, not, that you were in, a different, in a different space. You'll reveal. The nimtza comes out. It's nullification. It's not a true bitl. It's just an interruption. Basically, it's a suspension. It was suspended. 
It's not called bitl, true bitl of the substance. It's just not revealed. The imkain, and if so, lefiza yuvan is understood. Shegam bepchenes mocham v'nitzuach. So also in this war and in this victory, hagam shemenat seyach harotz and azel harotz and etchuka kodemes alel. Even though this new found desire and want has been overpowering the other, this other desire, but they toikiva his gabres alel beyoyser because it, because of its intense power of, 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 of intensification of his gabrus, nevertheless, it's not a true, complete bittle. Even though it nullifies it temporarily, but it didn't change, it didn't nullify it, it didn't change its, 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 its substance. It, it, it only... It only attacked its manifestation. It didn't allow it to manifest, but it did not change it at its core. It only subdued it. It shut it down. It doesn't allow it to make its way into your consciousness. As if it's not there. It, it, and it appears if it's not there. That's why some people, this is very, this would help so much young people so many people that go through this experience have a rude awakening and that awakening can become, can be so disheartening for so many people that they think they're angels, they think they've achieved such transcendental and they've a total metamorphosis and a transformation or whatever and then they come back to their previous environment and all that great fervor and who and ha and excitement leaves them and they suddenly come crashing down on the floor and they're hurt very deeply because they, 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 they don't know, they, they, they're so confused. They don't know what to make with themselves. And I've dealt with lots of people in this situation. Because you're flying high and it's great. But then you don't realize that you have another side to yourself that needs tipul. It needs to be worked on slowly. <laughs> it, it, it not, you don't become a tzaddik overnight. But Emes in truth, it's still there in all of its strength. This is called subduing. Now, this is a reg- this is a deeper subduing that we spoke. Usually in Tanya, when he speaks about subduing, it's like I want to eat the pasta. No, I'm not going to eat it. So you're subduing. You're not subduing the emotion. You're subduing the action. The effect of it. The emotion wants to act out. The feeling. The desire wants to act out. I'm not allowing myself, but I'm walking away from the pasta, feeling very, 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 very cheated that I didn't get to eat my pasta that I wanted. So that's called a regular iskafia. I'm subduing it. Here he's talking about a deeper subduing. You're not just subduing the actualization of the emotion, the acting of it. You're subduing the, the emotion itself. That you're not feeling the emotion anymore because you're knocking the emotion with a powerful desire that's much stronger than it. So you're, that desire is completely knocking out that emotion or that desire completely. But, as he says earlier, it didn't knock it out at its root. It only pushed it out from it manifesting in your consciousness. V'loy is hapcha, and that's why it's not cool, this hapcha, which means transformation. Al-Derech Dugman, he gives a practical example. When a person has a desire to make money, and he has a long, and he wants to make a lot of money, but as a result of this 
this earning of this money, yafsit chaye nafshoi, it's going to cause him, he has to take a risk, which God forbid, can God forbid make that he's going to, let's say, oh, I'll give you an example. Let's say a person knows that he can make a lot of money, but he has to go work in a mine, and when he goes in the mine, there are toxic fumes, and he knows clearly that there are a hundred people who went into this situation, and these people all came down, chas v'shalom, with cancer, and they died two, two years later. Chas v'shalom is the situation. And he knows them, but they came out rich. They made a lot of money in this, in this work, but it's going to cost them their life. So even though you really, really, really want them, and let's say you don't know about it. I'll give you an example. Initially, when you heard that all this money is to be made, you didn't know about this. So it, you had enough time to create a powerful desire that you're going to do this work and so forth. It's only the new information comes to you later after the desire is there and you realize that the, the price that you're going to have to pay is that you're chas v'shalom and it's without a question. Two years later, fartik, finito. Chas v'shalom, person will be ill and sick and they'll... So when a person realizes that, overnight that other, the desire for the money dissipates. It's gone. It's not there anymore. Or chas v'shalom and nefesh b'nei beisai. Or he's going to risk someone in his household. A close family member is going to get hurt as a result of this. She'yikarim be'enov. These are very people that are very precious to him. Mikol hoin. For more, if a person realizes that by doing so and so, he's going to, you know, he's going to mess up his children for whatever reason. So even though he can make a lot of money, if the only person is a decent father, a decent parent, he's not going to do it. Okay, gam nor the like. Oi. Or for another example, a person is going to become, attain a, a, um, a very great level of recognition, of honor. He's going to become a person who's going to be appointed as a king or even a minister. But for that, he has to spend a lot of money. So even though he loves his money very much, and in, all his life is money, 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 but now it's an opportunity for him to get power, and so on and so forth, even if it costs him the money, he's willing to forgo on it, because the desire for fame and for recognition and so on and so forth is deeper and stronger than the, than the desire for the money, so we'll cancel it. Or he has to spend a lot of money, either he will forgo making the money because he has an opportunity to do what? To, um, uh, you know, like, uh, like the president, for instance. You know, he has a, b- 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 a multi-billionaire and he could have continued his businesses, but you know, the idea of being president of the United States was more important and all that. And for that, fine, goodbye. You know, I, I, can, I, can, I can take that my businesses will not flourish that much during the time that I'm president, which, I, which even though up till now that was like my most important thing to make a lot of money and so forth, because it's more of the prestige and so on and forth of being the president is more important. Right? Uh, so therefore we consider it as naught. All, all this vast amount of money compared to the greatness, and the honor, that this person is going to attain. And this person is going to take his desire for money and just throw it out. I don't need the money. And it's in compared or in front of this other desire and longing that he has that's far more wondrous than it. Shurova covered, which is all this great honor, and the greatness, Kiyadu, as it is known. 
It's not like his desire for money has dissipated completely. So what does this mean? A guy like Trump, okay, he's now president. Does that mean that he, that he, doesn't, that he lost, that his desire for money is gone? Just because, no. It means that now it's not taking center stage. Now he wants more that everybody should clap their hands and say, Mr. Trump, he's like the most amazing guy in the world. That's more important to him than all the money. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't have a desire for money. He does. But right now, it's not on front stage. He definitely has pain from the lack of, from the lack of increased wealth, which has been the most important thing in his mind. Because the intensity of the Yisgabras of the Ratzin shall cover the honor, the Agdula and greatness, and, and fame and the like and recognition, So this desire for money becomes suspended only temporarily. To the point that he doesn't even feel it. And he might even think that he doesn't even have that desire. He might think, I'm over it. I don't have the desire. Truth, truth, really, it's there in his nature and it isn't. It's now been subdued, bottle. And it's nullified. It will not expand in a revealed way. As we said earlier, a dialogue. And it is enough to those who understand. And this is all Mepnesha Kol Iker told us. Because this Ratzon, the main. Uh, the reason why this Ratzon. The, the, the lower ratzon, the lesser desire, is overpowered by another desire, is because what produced the desire for money? It's really coming, not an essential desire in your soul for money. It's really a product of a person's cognition and understanding. When, we, when we're born and we're here in this world and we hang around there for a little while, it becomes pretty clear to a teenager or to anybody growing up, as you're growing up, you start looking around and you see who's kind of important in this world. How do you have importance? How do you become somebody, you know? So, people with money, they, you know, you can buy things, you can have stuff, you're a knacker, you're a maker, you're a doer, you're a this, you're a woman, <laughs> you're, you're a somebody. So out of that understanding comes the desire to make money. So it's really, really starting from a mental cognition and understanding and appreciation. It's a gili or pnimi mina nefesh of the soul, but moyach valev. which everything that's coming from the mind, since the mind is limited, all desires stimulated by the mind are essentially limited. But the desire for recognition, the desire for fame, and like more than the desire for money, the desire for fame and power and so on and so forth, is not something that you need intellect to like. It's not your mind that's stimulating that desire. It's something you're rooted in the essential core identity of a human being that he wants to be a somebody. Money, you see, the desire, at least, I'm not saying that. I think there are people who probably want money and this is their essence. This is like rooted at their fanaticism beyond their intellect, beyond their mind. But, I, but we can definitely say that that's not by everybody. A, a lot of people, it's just a matter of 
first the necessity, first the need, first the want for comfort, and so on and the like. And then the prestige that comes with it, and so on and so forth, that creates this hunger and this desire. So it's something coming more from a person's mental understanding and the like. The, the desire for, as we spoke about earlier, the connection you have to family, the connection you have to life, or the, even the connection for true fame and honor, these are deeper desires and therefore they're infinite. They're, they're, they're not coming from the limited kochos pinimium, from the intellect of the mind that essentially is limited. It's coming just from your very you, from your very being, from the energy of the soul itself, and the energy of the soul itself is limitless. So you're having now two desires clashing. One of them is coming from a more external part of you, a place where you're, you're appreciating its significance from your mind, which essentially is a more external part and a limited part of the person. And the other one is touching you at a more far core place, a far deeper place. And therefore, when, they're in con- when there's no conflict with the desire for money, then the money can become all-consuming. But when it's in conflict, when it's being clashing with a desire that's far more essential, it disappears as if it's not there. But not that it's essentially gone, it's just that it's overpowered, and as we said earlier, it's sequestered, it becomes um, silenced and outside of, your, outside of your focus, outside of your radar. So... Uh, when there is going to come a revelation of a desire from something that's much greater, so we understand the first desire will depart from the brain and from the heart. Because of the intensity of this light and this rotten. This is still called war. Why is it called war? Because one rut zone is overriding and over and overpowering the other one. One is being victorious, and he's subduing to the other one. that he should go away. and he should um, um, be nullified temporarily from his place. For who I made ba'amdoi, and he is stand, but he still stands in his stand in his place. Commercial and he no, and he takes. I think that's what he means. And he takes the place of the person that was defeated. Commercial beis bnei yadam al nochamim, like two people who are fighting. Shekashi enatzach echad lezulasa veyapilenu. So when one of them will overpower the other one, and he will throw him down. Yamoy b'mekaymay umamadai, and he will stand in this place. He will stand in the place of the person that was now um, defeated. You haven't nullified essentially You haven't essentially nullified that individual. That he shouldn't expand to be able to lift his head. The Dailamaven is enough to those who understand. Page 271. But now he's going to show you a different case where you can see two things that are fighting and one thing overpowers the other and what happens to the defeated entity? The defeated entity is completely transformed. Not only is it just suppressed or silenced and then it can always re- re-emerge but it's, it's knocked out to the place that it's transformed. Kamoi like fire and water 
it's not just a subduing, completely becoming transformed. Why? You see that our fire and water. When fire drinks up water, what happens to the water? The water now became part of the fire. It's not like the water still remains in existence. Obviously, there is still water in the world that was not consumed by this fire. But the, the fire that this, the water that this fire cooked up and, and changed it and caused it, turned it into steam or whatever, this water is never going back to water. This became fire. When the fire will prevail over the water, it will change the nature of the water itself. That it will become like fire. It joins the fire literally. And the same is in the opposite. When the water fights over fire, it completely extinguishes the fire. It is known when you. Um, Unify, or when you in, you you um, bring together two opposite elements, shakol echod each one kishne when it is transformed, the nichlal bezulasi becomes included in the other one. Ahavchi moisif b'tevazulasi. Each one contributes in the nature of that which of the other. Kiilu hu chelik atzmi. It's as if the water itself has now become fire. V'loy murkev. To the point, and it doesn't even look like I'm incorporating something that is not me inside of me. When the fire took the water and turned it in, it turns it into fire, mamish. This is the true idea of iskalolos, of of incorporation, of taking something and incorporating it into it. To the point, not only that it's not, it doesn't have a voice, it doesn't have a, it doesn't, it can't oppose. But it has been, it has changed. However, when one only tolerates the other, I'm tolerating, but I'm not joining. But that is in a manner of tolerating. And submission. But it did not nullify its, its substance. This is not called Hiskalalus, true integration. Like it says, for example, this is like a truce. It's like two enemies that make a truce. They make a peace treaty. That one won't bother the other one. He gives an example. Michal and Gabriel, the two archangels, Michal and Gabriel, Sar shall Eish v'Sar shall Mayim, which we know one of them is a minister of water and the other one is a minister of of, of fire. The Ein Machabim says they don't extinguish each other. They're not extinguishing each other that one should fight the other. Each one kind of tolerates the other. It's a tolerate. I tolerate you. The substance of either one of them did not become nullified. It's not like Michal became Gavriel or Gavriel became Michal. Like two servants or two ministers that are standing in front of the king. Even though they hate each other and they're total opposite, but when they stand in front of the king, they're humbled and they can tolerate each other. Because of the nullification that's upon them. From the fear of the king. Their essential character. They're two, they're two opposites, truthfully. He makes peace. As stated elsewhere. 
but war. to transform the other one at its core. War is higher in the sense that what? He's really speaking three levels. Here we're speaking about they're tolerating each other, but they're still enemies. And each one feels the opposition against the other. Then there is another level where they're actually fighting it out. And, 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 and in that sense, when they're fighting and one overpowers the other, then at least in terms of that one, it's on a much higher level than when they're both tolerating. Because they're both tolerating, I still have an enemy. Now I've subdued him. I've subdued him to the point that he has to do my will. He's knocked out. But I'm only subduing him. He still essentially hates me. He's still essentially not on my team. He has no choice. He sees I won. So he has to submit. Then there is the ultimate piece that I have the ability to go deep inside into his kishkas and transform him completely. He becomes, like, he becomes an ally, he becomes a friend, and he becomes, he's standing for whatever I am standing for. He believes in whatever I believe in. And he's going to be working and campaigning for, that's like winning his heart over and transforming it completely. True shalom, true peace, and true eskalos comes in two levels. Aleph one ayadei amochama through a war lahapachamahos you want to convert the other kamoi mochemes Yeshua v'David like the wars of Yeshua who fought against the seven kings or King David or beloy mochama or without a war kamoi bimei Shlomo like in the days of Shlomo the Yamoisa Mashiach it's without a war in the day in the days of Shlomo Melech in the days of Mashiach especially in Mashiach there won't be a war. Because just by revealing holiness, by holiness being so deep and so essentially felt within all of the world, the unholy will dissipate automatically. And it is enough to one that understands. Venimtza comes out, Shiyish Beis, Minei Muhammad, there's two types of war. One of them is Rakla is only to subdue, Ule Kafya, and to surrender, cause to surrender. Labilti Yispashat Lavad. But even though I am affecting the other person and I'm causing him to surrender, I'm only not, I'm only not allowing him, him or this entity to have an expression. But I have not knocked him out completely. That what's called real eskalos, I haven't accomplished that real integration. Like the fire and the water, where the fire becomes water or the water becomes fire. But then there is a next level of war, which is so deep that you cause the other one to become included in you and become on your team. Included in him, the atzmi, and it becomes like an essential part. from him, amiti. It's called perfect and true eskalos as we said earlier. Now these two types of war, or pnimi levad. These two wars. Hold it. What does this mean that this is all in the Orpanimi Levad? This is a strange thing because I was, I was thinking the whole time that we were learning now that the second level of Mulchama 
is already an Indian of, of Makif, because how does the other one become so integrated that he becomes part of you is through an identity change, which requires the Makif. But now he's saying that this is all in the Orpnimi Levad. What does that mean? Well, let's read a little further. Two, two desires. Two desires that are mugbal, that are limited in the mind and in the heart. In an internal kind of a light. When one will prevail over the other one that stands against it. To subdue him and to nullify him. Even when he knocks him out completely, which that's called his the real iskalalos. Oh, see, this level is called makif. Yeah, I knew that something is it's not, not so simple. It doesn't mean the real arpanimi. The level of makif, the level of chaya, which as we said before, the level of chaya is an encompassing light. It's a desire, as we spoke earlier, it's like the desire for your children or for your very life, which is a far higher desire than intellect and reason. It's only, it, 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 it's accepted, it's, it, it registers in the mind and in the heart. But really, essentially, it's a higher desire. So the gam, but even this level, there's still a war. Shegam shemitzad atzmoy webchenas makif, even though essentially it's a makif, lemaila mahagbolas kliya moyach va'alev, it's higher than the limitations of the moach and the heart. Kiyadu, as it is known, it is known that nefesh ruach neshama, the three lower levels of neshama, are completely enclosed in, in, in the brain and in the heart. Both chai and yechida are makif. Bilti mugbalim are not limited bekelim klal and vessels. Like it says in Eitzchayim, Kineskeliel. Ach im he's still differentiating between chai and yechida. Ma'achar shemeir, even though it's not limited by the brain, but it is shining, it is illuminating, umalubish, and is enclosed bekliam mayach vahalev in the in the keli of the mo. You can take the next booklet now, in the keli and the moach of the lev. Gam kein bo yitachin b'chinas mocham ahanal. It also has an element of war. We haven't even spoken about that, the level of Yechida, where there is no war at all. So even when fire transforms the water, that the water should become like the fire, there is still a conflict. But we're talking over here about something deeper where there isn't even a conflict. So let's see what that is. So in he says like this, the two types of love that there is. We say love God with all your heart, love Hashem with all your soul, and love Hashem with all your might. So loving God with all your heart is referring to the love produced by the mind. Why do I love God? Because my mind perceives the goodness, the, the, the magnificence of God. And therefore I, want to, I, I love Him. So that's definitely coming from the limited appreciation of the person's Intellect, very limited. Bechol nafshecha, with all my soul, means I'm going past my kochos, my powers, my intellect. That's already the makif, the makif of chai. It's all my soul, so it's infinite, but it's still shining through my head, through my mind, and through my emotions. 
But then, what's that? What's that? That is the true Yechida. And when that's revealed, everything in, everything in the person changes. And it's forever changed. Without a war. As we're going to see. Sha'amr is all the sages say, with both your inclinations. That means that even even when it says with all your heart, it means that you're going to change your animal soul. As we said earlier, you're going to argue it out. The two souls are going to argue it out. You're trying to subdue it. You want to transform it. In which you want to cause that the animal soul, which naturally loves and appreciates the material, physical pleasures of this world, and you want it to come to a state of bitl of nullification, the iskalalus and integration. Call all the foreign thoughts, in which one wants to have only one desire for God. Like it says, who's going to offer me anything in heaven? I don't want anything, I only want God. And that's through, how do you, so again, on the lowest level, on the level of of levavcha, it's not, you can't transform the animal soul. You can convince him or you can subdue him. To transform the animal soul requires a revelation of your encompassing light. But even then, as we see, with all your soul, which requires the makif of chayah. One intensifies the desire for holiness that's in the godly soul. To subdue all the desires of the animal soul. But in a manner of war and in a manner of victory. But what do you want? What's the, what's the intention? Not just to not allow him to express himself, but to actually transform him. As we spoke earlier. We see, just like we spoke about that fire and water, that the water can transform the fire. We see it's possible for a person to transform all of their desires, even their, their physical desires, to be only to Hashem. But it's still a war. It's a war where the godly soul, it prevails over the animal soul. At the time of davening, that's the time of battle. But the great love of with all your might, that is the makif of Yechida. Meaning it's the encompassing power of the Yechida of the soul. Shalomayla legamri, it is completely beyond mepchenes hagbala b'moach v'lev. It's much higher than any kind of limitation of the brain and the heart. It doesn't shine at all in the brain and the heart. Hopefully we'll learn later and we'll understand what this means. Gam loy b'pchenes makif, not even in a makif. V'nikra ma'oitcha. It's essentially infinite. It's not just 
compared to the vessel, it's believable. It's really believable. Kamakif the Chai, like the Makif of Chai. Makif Chai is, is believable, it's infinite compared to your mind. It's not truly infinite. The Shamla Yitachin Pchenes Mochamakla. And once one a person accesses the Yerchida, there is no more war. This is true Mesiras Nefesh, which comes after the Mesiras Nefesh of all your soul, the Dailamev. It is enough to one who understands, and thank God he doesn't leave it over here, and he's going to explain and what does this mean. It is known, there are two types of Mesiras Nefesh, two types of a person giving themselves over completely to Hashem. One of them is al Hanal, similar to what we said before, where a person cancels all of their foreign desires, the Nefesh Bahamas of the animal soul. In other words, a person manages to intensify such intense godly awareness and godly desire in his life, that he takes his animalistic urges and desires and kaputo, transformation. Even his animal soul, he doesn't have any more of a desire of the animal soul that it wants the, the physical pleasures of this world. But it's a war. It's related to the war of the godly soul. That wages war with the animal soul. Until it prevails, the intensity of the longing, of the, of the, of the godly pleasure, with a wondrous intensification, and powerful, very, very much. Until all foreign desires, that are getting in the way, that are interfering, becomes nullified with utter nullification, and even integrated. As if it doesn't have any bit of its previous nature of what it was about. On the contrary, it been transformed to a complete different substance. The person is disgusted by the very same things that it used to excite this person and, and bring them pleasure. Now they look at it and they're completely abhorred by it and they're choosing good, and they can sense that it's not only their godly soul, they can sense that their body itself is abhorred by all this, by, by, by this. It's completely against their original nature. So what's wrong with this? The Rebbe is saying and saying and saying it so hard. So what's wrong? What's the problem? We see, we see, we see that all this bitl of the Nefesh of Bahamas in its existence, so the Rebbe adds over here and he says, you might think you are redeemed completely, finished, no more klipa, no more animal soul, no more, basically my entire world is now Hashem. And not only because my neshama is so strong, I've even convinced my animal soul that the only reality is God and the only thing worth paying attention to and getting excited about is only Hashem. But the Rebbe says, understand and appreciate one very important thing. The reason, the problem with it is, 
Even if it was canceled, it wasn't canceled because it is canceled. It was canceled because if it's being so little and so small, it's as if it doesn't exist. Alderich Dugma gives an example. Mibitl tipa biyam. When one drop of water in the sea, shenechleles biyam, it becomes included in the sea. If I take a drop of water, if I, if, I go to, if I go out on a boat, yeah, I go out on a boat, I go for 45 minutes into the, into, the, into the Pacific, and then when I'm standing over there, I take this little cup with this water, and I pour it out, the water, into the sea. There's no trace of this water. This water now got lost in the sea. But what does it mean the water got lost in the sea? Is essentially, there's no, that water when I poured in is not there. Is it not there? It's there. It's just for all, for all practical purposes, it's non-existent because all you have now is only the ocean and this got canceled in the ocean. Now, to, hypothetically, even though it's impossible, if I would have a huge, 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 um, what's it called again, um, uh, water, uh, water vacuum cleaner and suck all the water out of the ocean, everything, Dry up the ocean. And, uh, 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 besides this little bit of water that I put in, the water will reemerge. It's essentially existing. It's just that it gets mixed and like lost as if it's not there. Even though, or, or even, let's say even better, he says, he gives an example where you, can, here you can't measure it because the water like it looks like. But he says, it's opposite. Bitter water that gets canceled in sweet, delicious water. So you have this water and you taste it, it's very bitter. But it's a little bit of water. And then you put it into this big, huge, huge tank of sweet, good water. Shana'apach, now we, now we have to use the new, the, new, the new paper on page 273. Shana'apach, So now the bitter became sweet. Because it became so nullified. It's so little. Like a little drop in the sea, and the like. The sweetness, the 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 the. Sometimes it can be not so much because there's so much water. It could be because even if it's not that much, it could be it's very very sweet water. Let's say they put a lot a lot of Kool Aid into that water. It's like intense, like the Israeli petal. Okay, it's like sweet, like I don't know what. And that's the water. Even this bitter bit of medicine, it's like you're putting medicine into this sweet drink. It becomes sweet. It's not because it's so little. Give give an example. It's not that it's so little bitter water. It's just that you, you have very intense sweet, something that's very, very... Like they have these sugars, I don't know what they call it. This, uh, certain, there is there's the sweet and low, there is Splenda, and then there is this other sugar. I don't know what it's called, you can get it. What is it called? That? It's very intense. A tiny bit of it, and it's like, makes everything very sweet. I don't know what kind of thing it is, I don't know. So there you have it. It transforms it. Where fire became included in water. When the power of the element of water 
prevailed over it, until he became like it, or the opposite canal like we spoke earlier. Again, he's not yet going to tell us what's the problem with this. We'll see in a minute. First he's describing and how would this apply to the soul. You have bitter water. Your bitter water is what? Your bitter pleasure. What are the bitter pleasures? I'm not saying bitter in the sense that bitter, bitter and pleasure is the opposite. I'm calling it bitter pleasure because we understand and appreciate that the pleasures of our physical bodies and its wants could be a distraction for our service of Hashem. Okay? So that's considered bitter over here. So you have your bitter pleasures being canceled in the intensif- intensification of holy pleasure. In which it became canceled to a ratzon that's much bigger than it. Like we said earlier, like the desire and want, that a person has a desire to make money, which becomes nullified and canceled in a greater desire. Kamoizi says, when a person has to spend a fortune, or lose all of his possessions, all of his, all of his things, for him to people spend all their money to run for office. Literally. They give they, and they borrow and they get it because it's so important to them to be a governor, to be a whatever. Sometimes you spend your money to save your life because a person needs to pay the medical bills. Or a person will pay, God forbid someone was kidnapped and they're asking for a $3 million ransom. You don't have that. Yeah, give away everything to save your child. So what happens over here? So now your desire that you have for all these things became canceled in your desire for your child. So you can have that kind of a mysterious nefesh to God. All of the foreign desires misbatlim become nullified and they become included in a much bigger desire, and what's that desire? To be connected to Hashem. Even to the point when they become also transformed. And they're only to God alone. This bitl is only because it's so little. Meaning, the bitl is because it's so little. Ella mitzad amiyot, that's what you're supposed to say. He says you're supposed to say the word Ella. It's because it's so little. It's not like you don't have a desire for the, for, for, for the material things. The desire for Hashem is so wondrous and so much greater. To the point where this other desire is as if it's not. And it becomes so nullified. Like a tiny drop in the sea. Even though essentially it doesn't have, it's the opposite of a, of a spiritual desire. It became transformed. Like a little bit of bitter water becomes transformed in a lot of sweet water. That the bitterness becomes sweet. Oi. Let's say quantitatively it's not that way. 
It's not like there is a little bit of desire for worldly pleasures and a lot of desire for holy godly pleasures. Let's say in terms of the amount, I don't know how to measure this, I don't know exactly what he means. Both of them are equal in terms of the amount. It's when the desire for holiness is very intense. What does it mean? It's a lot. He's giving a very what seems to me as a very interesting kind of a thing. Both of them are equal in their amount, but one of them is much deeper. It's like the amount of sweet water and bitter water are exactly the same, but the sweet is very, very sweet. Very intensely sweet. How does that psychologically play out? I'm not exactly sure. But in any case, It's when it's much deeper. Then even other des- all the desires that are not for God will be converted. Like the bitter becomes sweet. Even if the bitter is a lot. As I said earlier, you put in a little bit of the splendor, whatever, I don't know what it is, whatever this... Uh, it bothers me because I know there is this thing you buy at the, that is like a, a type of sugar that is like so intense... And even though you're putting in only a little bit, it sweetens the whole thing. Maybe, what is this? Stevia, maybe. Could be. If the little bit that's sweet is very sweet. Or like very sweet honey. The bitterness of the tznoin, tznoin is radish. becomes sweet. It like, it cancels the bitter, bitterness of the radish and it turns it to sweet. That prevails over it. And the example to that is, of this that it says, He threw a fire, a, 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 a Moshe Rabbeinu throws a wood, and the water becomes sweet. And even though the wood that Moshe Rabbeinu put into that, the bitter waters was very little, it was just one small branch. Vahamayim shebemara, and the water that is in Amara, Rabbim Biyoser, was a lot of water. Alpha became nimtaku, nevertheless, they became sweet. Why was I getting so impatient? Because he's going on and on. I'm trying to get to this point. But what's the problem? Till now he was saying, like, oh, it, it, you're canceling it, you're canceling it. Why are you canceling? Because one is overpowered. What's the deficiency? Why? I'm getting a little bit anxious over here. I don't know why, but I'm because I feel like this is dragging a little bit. But what does he say? He's saying that the that the that the um, why is all this high and not yechida? What's the what's the lacking in this? What's lacking in this is as follows. that's understood of all of this. This bittel is not called a essential bittel. Mitzad atzmoi levad that it itself changed. Elarak mitzad is gabrus koyacham anagedalov. Something else is changing it. It's an outside infiltrator who's changing you. It's true. He's changing you completely. He's getting into every cell of you and flipping you over. But it's not you changing. It's some external force compelling you to change. 
until it changes it. So therefore, what's the thing? Since it's not you changing because you're changing, you're changing because someone is changing you, as long as that someone is there to change you, you're changed. And when that someone will go away, essentially you're still who you are. As he gives an example, The greater power, Gover Olav B'yoyser prevails over it even very much. Immediately, when this light and this power will go away from you, and it will go away, the initial desire will come back. Literally will be... So this is different than we spoke earlier. Because here we're talking in a case where even though the fire changed the water, or the water changed the fire. It's not like I spoke about when a a bachar goes to Israel or something like that, and it's like it never changed it. It's always been there. No. Here we're talking much deeper. It actually transformed the animal soul. But even that transformation is not that the animal soul on its own became a different person. It's because it is being convinced by someone else. And the proof? How do you, in physics, how does he give the proof? We see whenever one thing is integrated into the other, with the bitter and the sweet, or the fire and the water when they're integrated. When you will separate and take out all the light and all the power and all the energy of that canceling power, of the, the one of the, of the overbearing power, that prevailed over the weaker one, the one that's smaller than him, until he went away completely. But if that other power will go away, that little, that weaker weakling, that weaker, weaker entity will reassert itself, will be back again. And suddenly the weak one will say, Giberani, I'm strong. The nimtza comes out, it remained in its existence, like it always was. Mamish, it did not have a, cel- a cellular transformation. For example, if it would scientifically be possible to take out all the stevia from this sweetness, to take out all the honey from the radish, imagine, you turned radishes to the point that the radishes are sweet. You taste this radish and it's not a bitter radish, it's totally, because the the sweetness of the honey saturated the entire radish. But if it would be possible through some kind of a suction process to take it all out of what got soaked into it you, and, and remove it, what is a radish piazza? It's not like the radish became sweet. The radish is still a radish. It's just that it was saturated with the honey. He's talking about very, very subtle differences 
but differences that really make a big difference. The question is, how do we deal with the unholy inside of us? And this is a very practical question. Why is it a very practical question? Because we're coming to Mashiach in which the unholy is going to be transformed. It's going to change. How is it going to change? So we're talking about Mamash transformation. You filled yourself with so much Kedusha. Imagine this. Coming here every Thursday night, learning and learning and absorbing and absorbing, and you become like literally like a holy, like a radish. That's what we are. We all are radishes. We're soaking in the sweet honey of Hasidus. Hopefully, the more we, we marinate in it every Thursday night for a couple of hours, hopefully, bit by bit, it's getting in, it's going deeper and deeper and deeper, and we hope we're becoming a different person as this thing enters into us and we have higher desires, deeper wants, more spiritual wants. But he says, no, no, no. If you're going to suck out all the, all the classes or all this and take it out you'll, and leave it to its bare bones, it's essentially going to be back to what it really was. From the honey, the radish is going to be a radish. That's the name of this class. The radish is a radish. But he's going to explain there is a possibility where the radish does not have to be a radish. And that's the idea of Yechida. When you uncover the Yechida, you have an identity transformation. And that already changes it, as we're going to see soon. As it literally was before. The same is also sweet water. The bitter water already became sweet. If you were to do some kind of a science, through some kind of a science, uh, whatever, you would be able to take out. If you're able to get into it and take out all the portions of the sweet water, you'll end up you'll end up with the same little bit of bitter water as they were. If it would be possible to take the water after it was mixed and separate them back again, you're going to end up with bitter water. It's not like the bitter water had a change of heart. It's still bitter water completely overwhelmed by the sweetness of the sweet. And even when fire and water become integrated, when you will take out from a, a wood that is included of fire and water, and you'll take out all the elements of the fire, I don't know what he means with this last example about a burnt piece of wood. If you take out the koyach of the fire, you're going to find the water in the wood. I don't exactly understand what this means. So, 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 so we'll understand in the nullification and the integration of this foreign desire. At the time when the spiritual, higher, godly desire prevails over it. This is only at this time. But immediately when this light and the power of the godly will will go away, the power of this foreign desire will 
reappear exactly like it was in the past. Nevertheless, if someone can achieve something like this, that they saturate themselves so strongly that they don't have any more any physical desires to the to the because they've learned so much, they fill themselves with so much soul consciousness to the point that that's their complete, that's their that's their only identity. And then the animal soul becomes kind of, they give over, it's called Mesiris Nefesh, because they're giving up all their desires to God. Anything that's not related to Hashem, there's no desire. Completely given over. The Rebbe says, even that is not a core transformation. Even that is just an expression transformation, not a core transformation. Since at that time, why is it called Mesiris Nefesh? Since at that time, it is a Mesiris Nefesh, but it's not the ultimate Mesiris Nefesh. Since at the time when the godly soul's desire is now burning strongly, the desire, the other desire has become cancelled. And it too is now rejecting bad. And it wants good. It's not the ultimate Mesiris Nefesh. You're giving over your desire, but you're not giving over your soul. You're giving over your desire. In other words, on which level did you cancel your animal soul? You canceled it on the level of desire. Your holy desire overpowered any, is much deeper and much stronger, and it knocked out any expression of desire of the animal soul. So desire conquered desire. Not essence conquered essence. Desire conquered desire. Basically, you're prevailing over your animal consciousness from your desire of your godly soul over your desire of your animal soul. And therefore, since beneath, but the question is, what's producing the desire? Beneath the desire, there is a being, there is an essential I. The question is, what's with that essential I? There is still an identity that's not holy. And you might, and here's the thing a person can live his entire life under the spell of the godly soul. That the godly soul desire has been so intensified to the point that you'll never know that there's still a somebody there hiding with a potential desire because the desire of the godly is so strong. So as we said before, you can soak your, 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 your radish in, in honey and it, will, and it could be you'll never suck out the honey. So it will be there forever. You'll always think, oh, look at radishes, they're sweet radishes. So you might think of yourself like a sweet radish. And it's over. But the Rebbe says, it's not the real transformation. It's not, you didn't give your, you didn't give your Mesira, your nefesh over, you gave what's closest to your nefesh, and that's the first expression of your nefesh. What's the first expression of your nefesh? There's I, and now there's I want. So on the level of want, the other want, which is much stronger, because the other, the godly soul is much stronger than the animal soul, because whatever reason, you, you, you allow the godly soul to, to, to manifest and get stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger to the point that it nullifies. Or, and, and the animal soul also wants what the godly soul wants, because it was drafted, because it was soaked in the animal soul's desire, in the godly soul's desires. This is called mesira, because you're giving something over. 
You're giving over something from one, one rishus, from the rishus of the unholy, and you're giving yourself over to godliness. It was changed from its first substance, according to that time, it was given over into another domain. When he's given over a'acher and another rishus, when the animal soul is transferred into the domain of the godly soul, he joins along in the party, in the excitement of the of the of the of the uh, of the godly soul. But it's possible for him to go back out. It's possible for him to go back to the previous, to the previous thing. It's like one thing has been transported into another domain. It's still possible that it will go back to its previous domain. It's the idea of giving over the desire. Shaharatsan Azar, this this foreign desire, Yatsamir Shusarabim, it went out from the public domain, which Hasidus explains means the unholy domain of wanting all the lots of stuff. Oilam Apiru, the world of separation. Umasares Atzmain, it gave himself over the Shusayachid to the Rishusayachid. Oilama Yichud, the world of unity. The Afalpi, even though Shabeshah Zusha Nimsal Oilama Yichud. At this time that he's being given over to the world of Yichud, he's completely bottled. To the point where he doesn't even know that he has any other desires. There can be a change. When the, when the desire, of, when the supernal, when the godly desire will depart, in which it was given over to his Rishus, Basically, what happens sometimes, what happens if a person really, really worked hard and really has been spiritually active, strong, and, and then sadly, and to the point where they don't even realize that they, you know, they've completely given themselves over to God and to holiness. And then something very traumatic happens in their life. They go through something very, 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 something that completely shakes them to the core. People that went through the Holocaust, they could have been very dedicated spiritual people, something that really shook them up. And as a result of that, something like their godly excitement and passion and fervor just died. What's going to happen? If they transformed already their, their animal soul, then there's no way that their animal soul will ever go back to appreciating the pleasures of physicality and worldly pleasures because it's already been converted. You're saying it, I knocked out goods, I gotta I got now figure out a new thing, but I can't go back to my old desires because that has gone, it's over, it's not there anymore. The fact that the person could go back to things that they once wanted is a sign that the transformation wasn't complete. It's not complete because if it would have been completely, truly transformed, even if for whatever reason now I'm finding it difficult to love God, for whatever reason, because so and so forth, I still would not go back to my previous self because that's gone. It's not there. The fact that it will, it will flip back 
is a sign that now it didn't really essentially change. It was just kind of swept along with the, with the power and the energy of the godly soul. It went along with it. It even agreed with it. Sometimes, you know, I was dealing with a case. I'm going to use this. I'm going to use maybe a psychological kind of a thing. Sometimes you have people that are in a marriage or in something where a person is abused. One of a spouse is being abused by the other. And, um, and sometimes the abuse goes so deep that the person, the victim, kind of joins along and they think that the abuser that's abusing them, whatever, is like correct and right. And they're kind of on that person's team. And anybody that wants to get in the way to try to help them becomes their enemy. Not just the enemy of the abuser, but their enemy. Because you're like, because they're so frightened, they have so been overtaken by this individual. But it doesn't mean that at their core, core, core essence, they've been they've joined. They're suffering. And deep inside, subconsciously, see, they want to get out of it. But at least on their conscious level, they've so identified with their abuser that they've lost any sense of I. But when it really is scary, is if a but that I think can never happen. If a, in other words, essentially deep, deep, deep at the core, they know that this is not right. I'm wondering if chas v'shalom, it's possible that it can go so deep where they've lost their identity completely and chas v'shalom. I don't think it's possible. But I'm just using that as an example that you can, that, that even on a level of desire, you can be kind of join the other side and, but it's not that this is who you are, be'etzah. And that's why the person is still redeemable, I'm saying in the, in the other way, to come out of it, because at a very deep level they can... The natural desire of the animal soul, So a person, it's possible over here, we're learning that a person can be 30 years a tzaddik, 30 years the person can be completely like thinking they have no desires for Gashmias of this world. Their mom is soaring and spiritual and so on and so forth. And they can find out after 30, 40 years, for whatever reason, this inspiration of their neshama was interrupted, for whatever reason, and suddenly they see themselves re-experiencing the desires of their animal soul, which they thought is long gone and has been vanquished. Sad, a sad awakening, but that can be. That's the idea of The fact that we're calling it Mesiras Nefesh means I am giving it over from, one, from, from my... There is my ego, there is my self, there is my identity, and then there is God and holiness. I'm giving over. The fact that I'm giving over means that I'm moving into. It's not me, it's me entering into some other zone. It's not an essential levad. I'm giving you over control over me. It's a temporary thing. Now when we say temporary, it can be till 120. But it's still temporary. Because hypothetically, if the inspiration would go away, they would go back. There is another dominating force. 
the Goiverola, that that dominating force is prevailing over it. It is enough to those who understand. Now in Sifches, in Perikhes, the Rebbe is going to introduce the higher level of Bittel. The Bittel, which is from Yechidah Shabbanefesh, which really essentially converts and transforms the animal soul to the point that it's mamish, metamorphosized. In a yesh oid bechinas mesiras nefesh, now there's another level of mesiras nefesh, which is much higher than the other mesiras nefesh. Page 275 is where we're holding. It's very hard to see, the copies were very vague. You're not just giving over your desire. My desire is being given over to a, to a stronger desire that is now prevailing over it. I'm giving over my entire being to you, not my desire. Nef, you see, in, in, in Hebrew... Nefesh can mean soul, and nefesh can be desire. Mesir Saratzin can mean I'm giving over my desires, or Mesir Saratzin means I give over my identity. I, I, my entire being, is now yours. Veloy Mesir Saratzin Levad, not only giving over desire. Va'af, alpisha mevuba makamach, I even though it's explained elsewhere, shaharatzin nikra nefesh, that the ratzon itself is called nefesh, kumoy hayesh es nafshecha, which means, is it is it in your desire? Ain nafshi, as it says, my soul is not with this people. It means my desire is not with this people. Ain ze'erach klal, but this can't compare. Klalu klal, legaba mohushala nefesh atzma, to the substance of the soul itself. Shememenu nimshach kol ratzin v'tshuka k'yidua. Which from it emanates all desire. So I can give over my desire, or I can give over myself, and automatically if I am yours, that all my desires are yours, because my very being is yours. In order for this to be, once this is accomplished, there's no war, and there's no victory of one desire over the other desire, of two desires, when one, one is overpowering the other. Where one desire prevails over the opposite, one that's clashing with it. Until it transforms it. Because the soul itself, is the source of all ratzon, of all desire and longing. It's understood. Compared to the essence of the soul, the, the, the larger desire and the lesser desire are both absolutely equal. Because the soul is removed from any kind of ratzon. From it comes the, the, the source for all desire. There's no difference between one ratzon and the other. Soul itself is so beyond desire. See, all that is only rays of the soul. It's not the soul itself. 
The soul itself is completely beyond any kind of desire, want, or whatever. It's, it's, your, it's your identity. It's higher than all of that. And it's not to say that a big ratzon is a lot of nefesh, and a little ratzon is a little bit of nefesh. It's not that way. The ratzon is only a ray. It's not the soul itself. The essence is completely removed from ratzon. We could understand. We'll get a better feel for what this means as he explains it. One of the mindless of the Mitlo Rebbe's Maimarim is that he's very elaborate. So he's going to explain. Sometimes if you don't understand something in one paragraph, you read a little further, so then it falls into place. So you can understand the quality and the level of this mysterious nefesh, of your very essence. It's much higher from giving over only the desire. The Indian who and what's the Indian? What does this mean? This is where the bitl is in its essence, from its very, very essence and substance. When he himself got converted, and not because some other power that's contradicting it is overpowering it. Only because from within him, with very self, had in his battle, its essential nature of what it had became completely nullified. It itself converted. It's almost like the Nefesh of Bahamas became a ger. It became a convert. It itself was has a new identity. It's transformed at its very, very core. And therefore there's no war, there's nothing to fight. This is the true meaning of loving God with all your might. I've given over my entire being. After I give over my, all my desires, I give over my entire being. So to understand the practical meaning of this, what does this mean? So now the Rebbe is going to break it a little more tangible. He's going to give you an example for this. There's a concept that the Baal Shem Tov speaks about called Hishtavos. Hishtavos means that a person is in a state where no matter what happens in his life, the person remains, is equal to him. If good things happen or bad things happen, the person doesn't flinch, doesn't make a... In all aspects, but everything is by him the same. When... It, Will, winning a million dollars, losing a million dollars, either way, the person's loyalty, commitment, excitement, attachment to God doesn't in any way fluctuate or diminish with any, any of these aspects happening in their life. They remain just as devoted and dedicated and committed without even the slightest nuance of movement in any occurrence. And when I say million lows losing, it's even when there are things that are deeper than that. Even if they're impacted by some kind of a tragedy that hits them and their family or somewhere very, very deep where it hurts very much, it doesn't in any way impact their connection to Hashem, their, their, their observance, their... their uh. The Indian who, let's see what that is. We see. The main primary root and source 
of all matters in the world, meaning matters in the world means the way we react or we, 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 are, we are, matters in the world is meaning the drive within the human being to any, anything in life is really, 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 the two deepest feelings are, are pleasure and pain. And pleasure and pain precede desire. Goes much deeper than desire. Desire is an outcome of pleasure and pain. What do you desire? Generally, what does a person want? That which leads them to pleasure. And what does a person not desire? What, does they, what do they desire should be not? Very strongly not to have something that causes them pain. So pain and pleasure are on a far more essential, intrinsic, uh, you say, uh, um, essential uh, aspect of soul is playing the pleasure and pain. It's as if pleasure is kind of the, the identity of the person. It's what your pleasures are, or what make you who you are, what you are. Your pain is the, what is negating me, what negates my, my sense of being, my very being, causes me pain. Um, and based on am oinig v'tzar, kol advarim nefesh Everything that the soul is drawn after, ki do as it is known. The chol ikar hamshachas hanefesh bedavar ma, the main primary hamshacha draw of the soul in anything. It's because of a pleasure that's in it. Sometimes we don't realize the pleasures we, that certain things give us. That we think, you know, obviously, you know, to eat chalent, that we, we eat it because, uh, you know, it gives us a sensation, pleasure, very nice. So we know that, you know, I like this, I don't like that, fine. But sometimes like certain things that we, we like some people like, they love confrontation. They love arguing and fighting. It's because they have a pleasure in it. It gives them, it releases some kind of, of um, uh, no, intention. I'm saying, oh, no, it, 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 no, it releases some kind of, 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 um, of, of sugar in their brain. Uh, uh, what is it? Endorphins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it gives them this thrill. This, but that's just a chemical element, which is really just a reflection of a deeper, it's, it's a much deeper sign of the soul. You, this is who you are. Then there are people that confrontation is that they run away from confrontation. They never want to be in any kind of confrontation. Any kind of confrontation scares them. Why? Because their pleasure is not in confrontation at all. Quite in the country, the type of makeup of who they are, confrontation causes them deep pain. Deep pain. And that's why any form of possible confrontation, they avoid it at all costs. When others love it, that's their... That's their that's the situation. I go to Levi Yitzchak in the morning, and if you go there at 11 o'clock in the morning, it's a very interesting minion, you know? It's Freilach over there. So, so I see, and I wonder, like for me, it, it, <laughs> when this confrontation, like I see people, they, they, they love it. They're like, this one says, start the minion. You said, how you do Why are you not diving along with the minion? Okay, I'm not saying, I maybe don't have to go that time. It's like a zoo. And the, but I see that there is a pleasure. People, mamish, and every day they're going to be involved. And it's like there's a thrill. And I can't understand that because it's, so, uh, it's not mine. I, I, but, but I know that by me it's a, it's, a, it's a big problem. 
because in situations where I need to confront and I need to have confrontation and it's a good positive confrontation, I won't live, I, I won't stand up to it because I'm terrified of confrontation. I don't want any confrontation. I want everybody to agree with me. I don't want anybody to tell me that I did something that's not good. I don't want that. I, I like it. But there are people who love it. That's like, yeah, I'm doing a career. It's a different type of nature. It's a different type of essential character at your core essence of who you are. I'm using just confrontation as an example. But so it will be in everything in a person's life. What is your pleasure? And that depends on who you are essentially. As a result of that comes desires. As a result of that comes desire. Where do you want to be? Do you want to be in a place where confrontations are going to happen? Some people love it. They can't be in a place, if they're in a place of tranquility and quiet and there's no one to fight with, or there's no one to argue with, or there's no one to this, they're in pain, they're miserable, literally miserable. And there's another person who loves that. I don't have to deal with people, I don't have to deal with anything, I just want to be away from everybody, just be alone with the birds, because I can't fight, right? No, and I'm perfectly fine, you see? It's two, 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 two different characters. Different, it's essential Indian. There's a pleasure in it. And the oinek causes the rats on the desire and the chafetz. Sharats of a chafetz bezen, he desires it. If not for the pleasure that he has, he wouldn't want it. He'd do as it is not. So therefore you see, when you do something against someone's desire, you spoil bitzar gadol. It causes a lot of pain. When a person has a desire for something, and you go and you do something against that desire, so it causes the person a lot of pain that they did something against the desire. Why does it cause pain? Why should this, the opposite of one's desire cause pain? The answer is, why do you desire because you have a pleasure. It's because sometimes, again, certain pleasures are a sensation that we can all identify. Right? As I said earlier, the pleasure, the pleasure in eating, the pleasure in, uh, well, these are all pleasures that we can, we, we can they, we, they're, very, they're very palpable pleasures. But then there is certain pleasures that you tell someone that they have a pleasure in it, they'll deny it. I don't have a pleasure in it. You, you have a pleasure in fighting. This guy is so, 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 that's why I'm fighting with him. No, 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 you have a pleasure in fighting. No, no, no. It's a, it's a silent pleasure. It's, there's a pleasure there. How do you know? Because when they're having a good fight with someone and someone comes in and stops their fight and doesn't allow, breaks it up, they're in a lot of pain. They're so upset that someone to stop their fight. Why? Because they had pleasure. And the opposite of pleasure is pain. So you're not allowing me to have my pleasure. There are some people who have pleasure in whining and in kvetching. And you tell them they have pleasure. No, what do you think? This is pain. No, no, no. They have pleasure in the whining and in the kvetching and in the crying and in the that gives them pleasure. And if they don't have a, they don't have something to whine and kvetch about and cry about and complain about, then they're miserable. They're actually happy when they have something for whatever reason. That's their character. So what you're having over here is, but you don't notice. See, there are certain pleasures that are so deep and so core fundamental that you don't notice that you have a pleasure in it. When, but here's the thing, 
you have a desire for something, and the desire is always a result of a deep pleasure that's causing it. Therefore, when you do something against someone's desire, against their will, it causes pain because it's against their pleasure. And their pleasure, pleasure is not like will. Will, desire, is not you. Desire is an, an, an energy of you. It's not you. Pleasure is already you. You're, the sense, when you're sensing yourself, who you are and what you are, along in that, and, and based on that sense of self, is your pleasure of whatever, whatever, whatever makes you you, uniquely you, creates the pleasure in that person. Every person is different in terms of the essential pleasure, pleasure field that, that they have. Um, this is mamish yisurim to my nephew. It's a big wonder. There's such a spilo, such an excitement of pain. Or and a lot of times you did something against me, and a person can be a person feels that if someone did something against their will, they wanted something very much, they wanted to go somewhere. Or, or, or had they like something in a certain way and someone went and they changed and they didn't do it their way and they did something whatever against them and suddenly it's as if it's, the, the person can become so in the words of it says it's almost like you took all the light and all the energy out of my soul and diminished it. It's almost like I'm just suddenly feel like I, I, I've been, I, like a piece of me has been chopped off. I mean, I don't know if I'm using the right words, but a person feels so, so, so compromised in their very being just because some rutzon, some will and desire of theirs was not realized. The nikra, for example, what? Yeah, this can be ego. This doesn't always have to always be ego. These can be in this can be in situations where it's a deep desire and it really wanted something very, very much, and then it was not fulfilled. Not, it doesn't always have to come from a, a very stu- silly and foolish kind of a thing, but it can be a the nikra, for example, ruach nitk, nitka. This is called a, a, a crushed spirit. A person remains completely crushed. Or a broken spirit. So the question is, The nefesh is spiritual. How can the nefesh be broken? How did this diminish? How did I suddenly now feel like I'm just 50% of what I was? Like half of me is gone. It was done against your will. The Ratzin is not even my soul. The Ratzin is only an external. It's only a ray. We have to say, even though the Ratzin is not your soul, but the pleasure behind the Ratzin that's creating the Ratzin is your soul. And therefore, if I'm negating the desire, I'm negating the pleasure. If I'm negating the pleasure, I'm negating you. Or I'm negating the person. And when I'm negating the person, and that's why the person feels like they've been amputated, that a piece of them has been, 
they feel completely crushed. And the light of pleasure is coming from the essence of the soul. And therefore the pain, it's the opposite of pleasure and delight, and, and will, makes a diminishment of the light of the soul, do as it is known, the nega oisius oneg. Nega means pain. It's the same letters as pleasure. Because it's the, the oneg is the positive identification. The pleasure is, I'm sorry, the pain is the negating of that pleasure. And that's the pain. And we see, we see many levels. So now we can see an interesting thing. There's many levels of how a person becomes diminished through pain. Sometimes there is a pain that a person feels. There's a pain. There's aggravation. You feel aggravated. You feel frustrated. You feel upset. You have a pain. But it doesn't completely demoralize you. It doesn't completely knock you out. You know, you, you get over it. Get over it. You were very bothered. Something happened. Someone did something that really disturbed, went against you deeply. And okay, a day later, you're back on your feet again. You're kind of knocked out for the day. You're exhausted. You're tired. You're just not in the mood of anything. You're depressed. Fine. You wake up tomorrow. You forget about it. Sometimes there's a certain worry and a certain pain in the heart. Okay, you speak it over with a friend, you get it off your chest, you feel better. Through, the, through speech, you can like cause this pain and this worry and this concern to exit. Or sometimes a person is down because of something frustrating and, and disturbing that happened in their life. Someone really you know, went against them, and whether it's a, a colleague in work, like you really, really wanted a certain project because you wanted to work on it and someone had the chutzpah to come in and, and take it away from you. And that's when you really feel you're right and you really were really hoping for this and this was really your aspiration, your desire and this is where you felt you would do so well and someone just came and took it away. You feel, you feel you're crushed. Oh, but then you know, there happens to be a good friend tells you and nudges you and you see that you come to a concert and they let's say you had tickets to this concert or whatever and you went and it's really good music and it lifts you up it takes you out of that misery it takes you out of that darkness it takes you out of that feeling of whatever now you kind of your spirit comes back you come back alive and you realize it, a lot of times when we have something that we really wanted and it was not and it was taken away from us or whatever reason it fell through sometimes we can literally be like half dead for a day, a week or so, you know, it can knock us out. Oh, but then, you speak it over to a good friend, you feel refreshed. Or, he says, I said, you can have music. Or, or you, hear, you hear something really funny, and it, and, it, and it kind of loosens you up. It helps you release that tension and that whatever, spit it out. And you're back again. But that's only if the desire that they, that was, this thing, whatever you wanted and wanted, was not was was not such an intense desire. Why was it not such an intense desire? Because it was not related to a very deep, deep core pleasure. It was a more it's a more of a superficial element of your soul, not the deeper element of your soul. If chas you find 
that you can't get over something. You're crushed and crushed and crushed and you can't get over it. That's because the pleasure you have. Shalom, a person loses a one and only child, God forbid, and they can never get over it. It's almost like they can't be alive anymore. Or I mean, everybody blesses a person. I'm saying it's possible, you can see that a lot of times, that person is never the same. Because the pleasure they had from their child was their everything. And once that was negated and it was taken away, it's like just, it can never recover. You see, it can be, I'm giving two extremes. Something can be pretty much superficial. You get over it in a half an hour, in an hour. Certain things you can't get over. Or some other things, he's still talking about the case. You took a nice, you know, you're feeling the down, and then you took a nice teal, you took a nice hike, you took a nice beautiful walk. other pleasures. And sometimes there's pain and there's agony. They hit you much deeper. Person cannot divert their attention. The liboy and their heart. Sometimes a person was publicly shamed. And no matter how much they tried to divert their attention, their entire, their honor was, 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 was shamed. Their entire, and they just can't, can't get over it. They can't come to it. The root of the pain and the, and the, and the, and the, and the suffering. It's the opposite of the pleasure and the desire. Levat, as we spoke earlier. That's why it's dependent the amount, the, the, the increase or diminishment of the pain. The question is how much pleasure do you have in that? And that's on the other side going to determine how much pain there is going to be if whatever that is is not is, uh, is, being, uh, is, is, is being challenged. If a person's pleasure and desire is a lot, very much, that the person delights in this in a very deep internal way, and this is what gives them the light. When you do something that is menagid, is very, very opposing to that pleasure and that rotsin. Then the pain of it is going to be very great. It creates a great decrease, a great diminishment in your soul, meaning in your sense of self. In accordance to the amount of pleasure, so will be the pain. When the light of that delight is being withheld. In the same amount. The pain won't be ever more than the pleasure. It will never be less. It's like a seesaw. Pleasure and, 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 and pain are like when one goes up, the other goes down. Meaning if, you, if you're going against a person's pleasure, that's the amount of pain that's going to be on the other side. So when you want to know how much pleasure you have in something, you really have to know how much pain and aggravation. So... For example, if you want to know how much pleasure you have in Mincha, how much delight you have in Davani Mincha, you have to take a look how much pain and suffering you have if you forgot the Davani Mincha. If you're kind of, oh, wow, shucks, I forgot the Davani Mincha. And then two minutes later, you're kind of okay, you can continue and you can, you know, eat shawarma and have a really nice time. 
Obviously, mincha is not that delightful. I'm not saying you're not doing mincha, but the mincha is not the pleasure of your life. What can be the pleasure of life? Other things. But, for instance, you know, you take away from the Jew uh, his tefillin, and he didn't put tefillin on the whole day. He came to himself for weeks and put tefillin on it. Because tefillin is already more than mincha. It's hitting you in a much deeper place. Whatever reason. Example between the two. Or, you know, everybody's got to see. Some people, if you know, you know, they were supposed to eat and they, had, they were expecting a certain meal and then the meal was not, didn't turn out what they expected. Their wife ruined it for them or whatever. Someone spoiled the whole situation. They were kind of looking forward and they're, they're, they're like crazy. For, for weeks afterwards, they're kind of shooken up because someone ruined their meal. It's because their desire in the food and desire in that meal is so deep and reaches so deep. It's such a core pleasure by them, so much an important thing that messing with it is, is like shook them up to the, everything. It's all, all measured. Al-Derech Dugma Atzar gives an example. Behezekoyin if a person lost a lot of money. Yerba Atzar, how much pain is a person going to have from the loss of money? How much the person delights in money? In accordance to how important the money the, the thing was. And if um, so if a person loses a little bit of it, so it will it will be diminished according to the according to the lesser pleasure that the person has. And all other pleasures. A person who revels in attention. And he loves honor. And he loves fame and prestige. And that everybody should talk about them. And so on and so forth. Based on that, a person is going to have pain. If their honor was suddenly diminished in front of people. For whatever reason, someone said something about them. And suddenly people who respected them are now not respecting them anymore. So, and they or not like they were. They feel suddenly that their honor went down. Some people are oismensch, they can't come to terms to it in a very long time. Others will get over it pretty fast. Because they have less pleasure in, the, in, in, in attention, in the, you know, it, it's all, and we understand that that's different in every person, in everything. Same is also in the pleasures of physical intimacy. You see the same thing? If a person who is, their pleasure is very deep in this particular aspect in life, that if for whatever reason it was taken away from them, whatever reason their spouse was tired or whatever, not interested, they can be upset for weeks. And the other one is like, okay, fine, you know, if you're going to invite it, because it's never, they're not that deep. The pain will be more or less. The Gemara tells a story, he saw a girl, and he really, really, really just got got completely obsessed with this, with, this, with this woman. And the Gemara says that, you know, they didn't let him talk to her. <laughs> but the Gemara also says, the Zayar says, the Gemara, the, the Zayar says like this, the one mistake you don't want to make is you don't want to get between the lion and the lioness during mating season. You don't want to interrupt that because when the lion wants the female, then he wants that. Then, so it says, Kad When the lion and the lioness are, are you, can't, you, can't, you can't mess with that. Why? Because the intensity of the lion and what he wants. 
And that's why. So it depends. It's When you do something against a person's desire, it's not considered Yisurim. You see, the person doesn't get so upset. And according to the how less it is the pleasure. The pleasure and pain are. Ach. Now, even though the, 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 the desire is for sure not the essence of the soul, the pleasure is also not the essence of the soul, literally. The essence of the soul can't be identified even with the pleasure. The pleasure is the consciousness, so to speak, of something much deeper that's just your essence, but it's the awareness, I would understand. It's a ray. And here's what you see, an interesting thing. Sometimes, the Rebbe is now adding another knech, I think. He's saying, pleasure and pain, till now we said they're both equal. Now we're going to see something different. Even though the pleasure is not the essence, the pleasure is like the the revelation of what the essence is kind of about, the pain is hitting you in the essence. In other words, it's easier to know yourself by knowing what pains you than by knowing what pleasures you. Because pleasure doesn't say it as strong as the pain. The pain... What? Yeah, because the tainug is not mortgage, but when, when something is hitting against it, that creates the friction, I guess, of the not... That, that's something like that, it seems to be saying. pain causes a d- diminishment in the essence of the soul itself. When I say it diminishes the actual soul, it's not I mean the soul is not something that 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 you can cut a piece off. You, you can't look at it quantitatively, but it causes a shrinkage, if you can say, in it a, a kivutz, a complete depression of it. I would say. But now he's comparing it, just like the pleasure reaches in the essence of the soul. The pain in the lack of the pleasure, magia ba'atzmesanefesh, touches the soul itself. Atchenikra ruach nishbara, until the person is called brokenhearted, v'nitke and crushed, kihai gavna. So, from the beginning of the paragraph, it seems to be saying that the pain is a stronger indicator than the pleasure. And from the end of the paragraph, he seems to be equating them again. So I'm not exactly sure. Um, that the soul itself, that, that in Tainug, the soul, is, the soul itself is involved. As it is known in the three meals of Shabbos, that they're dealing with core soul, whatever, but yet. Now, 
Bottom line, we are all spiritual beings and we have an official kids. And we also have an animal soul. And our animal soul is essential, a physical soul. So I don't mean physical. It's very close to the physical world and that's its reality. And that's, it's, but he's going to say an interesting thing. You see that there are people that have attained a level of spiritual, of, of spirituality, of spiritual awareness, consciousness, that no matter what happens to them in their physical lives, good problems, real problems, really, really serious situations that, you know, and it's, it doesn't have any impact on their, on their mood and on their state of mind. You wonder sometimes, you meet people and you're in awe of how they could have gone through what they've gone through and they're happy, energetic, people no even their entire pleasure and delight is their pleasure of their relationship with God and spirituality and holiness it's not that they haven't gone through and they have pains but it does not diminish their soul it doesn't because you can see one thing that they have their godly soul is their entire identity that's who they are so therefore if there is some something that happens to them in their spiritual life, where they experienced a tremendous spiritual fall, or somebody took something away from them that was dear to them in their spiritual world, they will be crushed and down. But in matters of the physical material world, they can reach, like the famous story of Reb Zusha, that he lived a, a, a life of a pauper, a miserable life. But he wasn't miserable. It, it, didn't, it didn't touch him even one tiny bit. He was the happiest person because that wasn't his reality. His, 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 his identity is his relationship with the Eberstein. His, his, his physical body and, physical, and the physical world was so nullified to his neshama. So it was just an instrument to do mitzvahs. Other than that, it had no existence. We're going to see in the end of the Mimer, which I'm not going to get to tonight, the Rebbe talks about that the ten Asare Aruge Malchus, Rabbi Akiva and those who died, the ten martyrs, he says clearly they did not experience any pain when they were being tortured to death. Because their body have become so integrated into their neshama that physical, physical experiences outside of their, outside of their connection to God meant zero to them. So he literally says they didn't feel the pain. They were so much just their neshama. And that's the real Masiris Nefesh. It's a very interesting statement to say that they did not feel any pain. Not, not because of a miracle. That's the idea. It wasn't a miracle. Their bodies were the same bodies. It wasn't that Hashem protected them from pain. They didn't feel pain because by them, their identity was only their neshama. Hard for us to wrap, to even begin to think what that means. Let's see. There is a possibility that a person can have an ishtavus. Ishtavus means equal, everything is equal. Even something that is very normal that the soul wants it. All the pleasures of this world. 
که ما ماین مانی کاواید پرستیج آنر شار خمدیس و تایوس اولم ازن all the other delights and wants of this world the person doesn't have any desire in them whatsoever. Adarab, on the contrary, he completely rejects it. Not just rejects it, he's abhorrent to him. It's as if there's, they, they hate it. It's, and, and it's there, it, it, it's as if they, it's not as if, it's, he does say as if. It's as if they hate it naturally. This kind of level of, of connection to God is a level that you can't be anything higher than that. They have completely undressed themselves from the physical material world, the physical body. The Rebbe is talking about perfect tzaddikim. Their soul is undressed, removed from any kind of desire and longing to the physical pleasures of this world. Even though it's against the nature of the core nature of the animal soul. They completely remade, they had a makeover. They remade their animal soul. And not like the radish that was saturated in the in the in the in the in the in the honey. It's not that. Here, it's not like if you take out the honey, they're back to their essential core. No, no, no. They have flipped it over completely. It doesn't have any more. was nullified completely. It literally got a new nature. The animal soul was converted to become like the godly soul. And it revels and delights in only that which the neshama delights. And that is connection to Hashem. That's it. Torah, mitzvahs, a Jew, Yiddishkeit, holiness. That's all that matters. And the true manner of this Indian. Here's an interesting thing. You can't measure this. Basically, how can a person know if he attained this level? If a person, if a person is really... We obviously know we haven't, but how does a person who is kind of in the range of this kind of say, check it out? You can't know it through the yeah, you can only know it through the pain. In other words, if it still causes any bit of pain, is a sign that there's still somewhat there, some pleasure in it, or else it wouldn't cause any pain. Now, chas v'shalom, what does that mean if someone, if someone chas v'shalom lost a family member and they're mourning? It's not the physical element of it that's bothering them. It's the spiritual idea of having a child or having a spouse or all the ruchnius of it that, that they're connected to. Not the, 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 the inyanim of it outside of godliness and purpose. And outside of that, it's, 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 it, it really is meaningless. To them, the only thing that counts is the Eberster's desire of having a family, and so on and so forth. They love their children, but they love their children as a part of the mitzvah, as part of God's thing. That's why Avram Avinu was able to take Yitzchak, who he loved so much, and put him on the Akedah. Because if this is what God wants me to do with my child, then this is my child. And this is my love to my child. And outside of that, nothing else exists. Hard to, to even... <laughs> but you won't know this. 
only from the opposite. which is pain, which is the opposite of pleasure. The pain is always equivalent to the pleasure. We said earlier. If they, if they, uh, someone does against this individual, some, some taking away from them something of this world. It's against his will. You spoil If it will cause them pain and suffering. So without it, without a doubt, they still have some kind of a desire and some kind of pleasure in it. Because according to that equivalence, they have pain in this being taken away. Ish is a sign that this person This person has not been converted and not been nullified complete to the nature of their animal soul. They're not considered mufshit, removed from the physical. Alderich dugma, for example, kishiyeloi hezik mamen. We're on page two seventy-eight. When a person has some kind of a loss of money, or nefila bekaved, the person had some kind of a um, shame. They were shamed, or they were their their honor kind of was diminished. You had tzaddikim who <laughs> it didn't mean anything to them if people, you know laughed at them or, or scoffed at them or made fun of them or shamed them. It didn't, it didn't impact them the slightest because it, it didn't, that, that's not where their heart and soul and their being is. They have no attachments anymore to it. If these things cause him pain, is a sign that the person still has pleasure and delight in money and in honor. Or the like and all the pleasures of the world. According to the pain, if it's a little bit or a lot, is a sign how much pleasure there is still left, meaning how deeply you're still attached to it. And even though there are tzaddikim, this is amazing how the Rebbe is saying this. There are tzaddikim, who we know are tzaddikim, who it bothers them when there is some kind of a sliding of their, of their honor. V'shar chem des oil or other pleasures of the world. Oh, he says, we do find tzaddikim that could have some kind of an influence by it, but he says they get over it very quickly. It's not like other people who like are, you know, are chewing on this for days and weeks. Even if it touches them slightly, very easily, because the sign, if they're a tzaddik, it means it has. If they're a true tzaddik, even if there is still a slight attachment, it has to be very minimal. If it's more than minimal, they're not a tzaddik. So he says, if there are tzaddikim that do have some kind of an influence by it, he's going to say soon that the, the real higher level tzaddikim, perfect tzaddikim, don't have any whatsoever. Um, his spilus, meaning they don't get any kind of, of excitement from any kind of any kind of worldly pain or suffering. It, it doesn't cause them pain at all. But there are tzaddikim that slightly it will affect them. 
but they bounce back very quickly. It doesn't teach them to... Why? Because who they really are and what they identify with most is godly things. It's a sign that they don't have a lot of tainug, only a little bit. That's why the pain is little, and very easily his battle will be nullified. Because the pain comes, as we said earlier, it's like a seesaw. According to the pleasure, that's how much the pain is. And then there are perfect tzaddikim, and that's what I wanted to mention. They don't have any type of hispilos, any type of excitement from the damage moment. They can lose money and it means nothing to them. Unless they lost money that they, they designated it for a mitzvah or something. And they lost it, so it's bothering them that they can't do the mitzvah, not that they lost the money. Or their honor or the like. Even if they lost children, health, food. They receive it with great love because they realize that through these things they're getting closer to God or whatever. It's a sign that they don't even have the slightest bit of attachment to matters of this world. That's why they don't excite them in pain and agony at all. When they're losing it. All matters of this world. Even if a person wants something. He says because they're in physical bodies, obviously there's going to be suddenly a flirt, a little bit of a stir. Oh, I want to eat that or I want, I want that. But, but it's very, very superficial. That's what he's saying. It's very on the surface. And therefore if you take it away from them, they don't flinch. Okay. I have it. I have it. I don't have it. I don't have it. <laughs> I saw a story last week. It's not... I don't know why the story is coming to you right now. It's not exactly this Nakuda, but I think it's touching upon it. Again, with my favorite, Reb Zusha. I love Reb Zusha. Reb Zusha is like the classic, ultimate Hasidish Yid. He's like the, he's Hasidish par excellence, <laughs> Reb Zusha. So he's once in a sukkah, and he was together with his friend, with one of the other Talmidim of the Magad, Reb Yebi. Reb Yebi's. And they were both, and he was in sukkahs, and, <laughs> and they were fabring together in the sukkah till, till late at night. And then it came time to go to sleep. Um, so Rabbi Abi, they, they, the people in the, in the house wanted to make Rabbi Zusha a comfortable bed, sleep in the sukkah. They wanted to make him a comfortable bed. And Rabbi Zusha, it was very cold outside, and they wanted to bring him a lot of blankets and everything. And Zusha said, Bishum and he didn't want it. He wants to sleep on the ground. Okay, they told him, you're going to get cold, you're going to get a cold, you're going to catch a cold. No way, he just wants to sleep on the, on the ground. Okay. Meanwhile, Rabbi Abi was sleeping in the sukkah there too. They prepared, he had a nice bed, a bunch of, he got a lot of covers and everything, and it made himself nice and warm. And he lays down, goes to sleep. And Rabbi Zusha is there sleeping on the floor. And suddenly he hears, it's Rabbi Abi, he hears Rabbi Zusha say, Zusha is cold, which means Zusha is cold. And announcements from the floor, Zusha is cold. And suddenly, the room, the, the sukkah starts warming up. Rabbi feels a warm room warms up. Okay, a few minutes pass by, and he hears again, Zusha is called. And suddenly, the room, 
it's getting warmer. And at this point, he's getting hot. He starts schwitzing under his blankets. And he's getting all uncomfortable with his thing. starts removing the blankets. And then the Zusha goes again. Zusha is cold. And suddenly, Rebiebi jumps up. He says, what are you going to turn the sukkah into an oven? He had such a relationship with the Yebish there that he didn't want, you know, he, whenever he had a situation, he didn't know of any. He goes directly to God. He doesn't need blankets. He's cold. Now he's cold. Zusha's <laughs> cold. And, and no, but I'm, why am I saying the story? Ishtavos, you know, everything. And now you have to sleep in the sukkah. Okay, I'm cold. The body is cold. Okay, Zusha is cold. <laughs> no, but you see, but Zusha, that's the way it was. And Gashmis meant nothing to him. The Ebershter meant everything to him. Okay, yeah, he had this parent-child relationship. If he, needs, if he needs the heat on, you tell daddy, you know, it's cold. So the Ebershter is going to turn the heat on for him because he loves Zusha with such infinite love because how can you not love him? He's so, he's so, he's so devoted. Anyways, I don't know where the story came to me right now, but again, to this Indian, but I can sense this Indian of Ishtavas. Uh, and if he would be cold, okay, in the end, be cold, sleep in the cold. Okay, now he's cold, so he needs, you know, why not say if he can, the Ebershter can, can warm him up, the Ebershter will warm him up. But the idea over here is that the art tzaddikim, as he says, that if if even if he wants it, and if you do it opposite, doesn't bother him. It doesn't get too, oh, doesn't create too much of a stirring in him if you did opposite. Because even when he that's what he said, even when he desires something begashmias, you know, he stretches his hand out for a cookie because he needs to eat something. And it, someone grabs it away from him. The rutzen for this gashmiistic thing was so superficial, so on the outside, so not deep, that okay, I don't have it, I don't have it. So I don't have lunch, you want it, yeah, you have it, I don't need it. You know? um, it's very, 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 very superficial, very external. To the point that you don't even sense any pain. However, when a person has pain, even a little bit from that which is opposite of his will, so for sure, it means that the person has some kind of an inner desire according to how much pain he feels when it's not canal. The nimtza comes out, perfect tzadikim. That unclothe themselves from any type of pleasure in the physical world. Even when things are done against their will, they don't have pain at all. Gashmias has lost its appeal. They have no desire in the material, physical world whatsoever. Why? And this is called equality. Sheshove etzla. This is what the Balshemtiv talks about. Shivisi Hashem lenegdi samid. The Balshemtiv says Shivisi means how do you know that God is in front of you all the time when it's equal by you? Yet and no. And in any situation, I have it. Good. I don't have it. Good. There's nothing that can. Nothing that can. You know, you're honoring me. Good. You're not honoring me. Good. You're making fun of me. Good. It, it doesn't make a difference. All these things. It's not like these people are numb and cold and died. They're very passionate. They're very, but only when it, only regarding to what, to godliness and what's true. 
Sheshava etzloi hen velav mamish bashva achas, it's all equal. Kamoi oisher vekavoid, wealth and honor, shebehedram, and when it goes away from them, lo yitzhar klal, no pain at all. Sheshava etzloi hen velav, the yet and the no are absolutely equal. Kamoi sheomar, as he says, Hashem nosan, Hashem lokach, Hashem gave and Hashem took. Im kin shava hanesina malakicha, the giving with the taking are equal. That's why really, in, in a sense, there is a certain expectation of every person to thank God for the bad stuff that happened with the same excitement like the good thing. And he's going to explain where, how can a person attain this Indian. I'm not going to continue the Mimer today because I'm too tired. But he's going to explain how and if I would have a shtavos, then my body wouldn't be, be, be uh, at all important now, and I would just continue and continue and continue until we finished. But I don't have a shtavos. And therefore, um, but he's going to explain you, how does one change themselves so deeply? To the point that there is no more physical identity. It's basically an explain, if you can uncover your etzema nefesh of your godly soul, and that and, and, that, and that's revealed in you, automatically the identity of the animal soul dissolves in this, in this Indian and is converted. And that this is your identity. What? This is, in, in, in such a way, that's the avoid of a tzaddikim. Yeah. But then why do we say, for Hasidis? Hasidis is supposed to at least bring us to give us that, that ability that maybe when Mashiach comes we're going to be there as a result of the Hasidus that we learn. I would imagine. One more week of Pada B'Shalem Nafshi. I am. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.